Have you ever lain awake at night staring at the ceiling with hot tears rolling down your cheeks, asking, what is wrong with me? What is the matter with me? And whether it's because you're regretting a decision you're made or you are feeling the pain of loneliness and disappointment or rejection, you keep searching in this deep well of sorrows to try and find the answer to the most dangerous question in the world, what is wrong with me? My friend, I have been there. I have spent countless nights wondering the same thing. I have spent days in a bit of a haze, just kind of beating myself up over and over again for the choices that I've made or the situation that I'm in, asking over and over again, what is wrong with me? As if there's some answer out there that if I could just find it and fix myself, life would be better and I would be able to have the things that I desire most because obviously I don't have what I want because I am defective in some way. But that is a lie. And today I want to talk about this dangerous question because I really feel very strongly that it is one of the most dangerous questions we can ask and begin to unpack this and how we can do better for ourselves. Hello, my friend, and welcome to the Forever Love Podcast. I am your host and relationship coach, Lily Matonguiza. And today I want to talk about a lot of hard things. I want to talk about this dangerous question of asking what is wrong with me. I also want to talk about the pain and the frustration and what we can do when we're in this place of discouragement. As I believe going into the holiday seasons, maybe you might be there. Maybe things didn't go the way you had hoped they would this year. Maybe you're not where you want to be. If things aren't the way you wish they were, it's very easy to assume you're the problem. We tend to get into a lot of blaming when we're in pain. It's either God's fault or it's someone's fault or it's my fault. And, you know, this can shift very quickly back and forth. We can go from blaming ourselves to blaming God to blaming others and back to ourselves over and over and over again. And, Part of growing in our emotional and spiritual maturity is being able to step away from all of that blaming and realize that nothing has gone wrong. That even though life isn't the way you would like it to be in this particular moment, nothing has gone wrong. And that's really hard because it seems like something is wrong. Like, I don't have what I want, I'm not where I want to be, and therefore something is wrong. And when we can begin to embrace the disappointment of not having what we want and allowing that to be there, we can also embrace that 
this particular moment is okay. I can be in this moment without the compounded emotional pain of rejecting reality and being mad and blaming and regretting and all these other really heavy emotions like stacked on top of each other that prevent us from creating what we'd actually like to have in our lives in cooperation with God fueled by the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So I want to begin by just saying that not every question is a good question. I know like we say there's no such thing as a stupid question, but Asking yourself what's wrong with you might fall into the stupid question category um, because it just does not serve you. You have a limited amount of brain power to use each and every day. It it is there's not a lot of finite things in this world. I believe like we can live in abundance and we can solve problems and we can create things from a place of abundance. But our brains, you know, they can only handle so many questions a day. I love talking about brains as computers uh, because, you know, there's a limited amount of bandwidth. And when you use your bandwidth on a question like, what's wrong with me? Your brain goes to town trying to find the answer, and it will pull up as many possible search results as it can and offer them all up to you as equally valid for you to sift through. And since you are solution-oriented, you want to find the solution to get out of the pain that you're in, you will spend hours and hours and days and weeks and months sifting through all the possible things that could be wrong with you. Maybe it's that you're too loud. Maybe you're too demanding. Maybe you're too quiet. Maybe you're too ambitious. Maybe your standards are too high. Like there's obviously an excess or a lack of something in you somewhere that makes you undesirable or unwanted or unlovable or whatever. And I just believe that none of that is true. I believe that while none of us are perfect and we all fall short of the glory of God and we are all sinners, there's still nothing wrong with you. There's nothing stopping you from being loved because you are loved. Your love ability is complete and 100%. And I know I've talked about this before, but it is so worth repeating. And I believe we can't hear this message too often um, because we have so many messages saying the exact opposite, that you need to fix something, you need to do something, you need to be something, you need to improve something. And while I believe in continual growth and um, personal development and spiritual development, of course, like we can, there's so much we're capable of. None of that uh is to fix a problem of you not being worthy of love. I love personal growth and development just because, frankly, it's fun to see what I'm capable of. I love exercising and growing to see what is possible for me. And that's hard. It comes with a lot of failure. 
I personally experienced a big failure in my life this past couple of weeks. As you know, I've been promoting my signature course, Ready for the Win. Um, it came out officially this time last year, and last year it did pretty well. Uh, I got a Several new students came into the program. They really enjoyed it. I've continued working with them over the past year. Uh, it was very fruitful, and I was excited to launch that program and to get such a positive response. Now, I always have big goals, and so you know, I set the goal of I'd love to have a hundred women come into this program, and I think I got about sixteen. So you know, I failed, but I didn't. I mean, I, women still signed up and I really enjoyed that process and it was profitable. It was able to help my family move forward. And I believed I could do the same thing again this year. And so to the best of my ability, I did exactly what I did last year and I did more and I spent this past six months really creating content for you to enjoy and listen to you, to li uh, sorry, to listen to and help you, to encourage you to believe in yourself and to believe that I can help you and to create something that will help you go from single and get married and I revised things and I made it better and do you know what happened? Nobody signed up. Nobody. And that was a huge blow to my heart and to my finances, frankly. Um, and it really, you know, it, it sucked to fail and to fail hard. Uh, I invested in it. I spent a lot of time away from my family to create this, to build up to it. I worked with other people to make it all happen. And it failed. And that was hard. And it was really tempting, and this is definitely a temptation I indulged in, to be very defensive and irritable and blame it on anything but me because I did everything I could. But the reality is that's not true. And when I'm in a defensive place, I cannot accept responsibility and therefore I can't make improvements. I can't have an accurate view of what went wrong, what went right, what can I improve upon. And I needed to get coaching to really see where I can, first of all, let go of this irritation and defensiveness so that I can embrace the reality because my thought when I look at my own model I'll share it with you so my circumstance my life thing was that my launch failed zero students signed up and my thought was this shouldn't have happened I should have had somebody sign up to be a new student and my emotion was irritable. I felt so prickly. I felt hot. And um, my whole family kind of came down with COVID. I think we got the new variant. And so I was miserable and frustrated and cranky and couldn't really like look at the situation very objectively because I was so in it. And from there, you know, I just defended when uh some people tried to help me figure out like, okay, what went wrong? Let's talk about it. You know, my, nothing went wrong. I did everything. I tried everything. It should have worked. I stayed in that place. And so I didn't figure out how to, what went wrong and how to fix it in the future. 
So, you know, I worked with my coach to really talk about um, the disappointment of not having what I wanted and having to change plans accordingly and how to having to go back to the drawing board and ask the same questions again and listen to you, my community, and hear what you really want. Because obviously, if I'm creating things and offering them to you and nobody's buying, something is, there's a disconnect there. And so my job is to support you in the way you want to be supported and to provide services and programs that you are asking for. So obviously I need to stop and listen and I would love your feedback. If you uh, get emails from me and you're listening right now, I would love for you to just respond and share with me what you would love to have from me so that I can create more of what you want because that's what makes a relationship really awesome, right? Now, So I had to really embrace that disappointment. And I was scared of that because it felt so unproductive to just be disappointed. And I kept, I have a knee jerk desire to be productive at all times, even, and if I'm not being productive, if I am doing something indulgent, I have a tendency to beat myself up for not being more productive. Like the thing that would pain me the most as an insult is like, if you called me lazy, I hate the idea of being lazy. I want to be super productive. And so I have a tendency to keep myself busy doing non-productive work just to avoid the emotion of being called or thinking that I am lazy. So that's just a little bit of the behind the scenes of what's going on for me. But the reason I'm sharing this with you is because I needed to embrace that like acknowledge that irritation, move into disappointment. And from there, through the help of my coach, I was able to start exploring what did go wrong and start creating solutions. And once I got into that mode, it was much easier to see like, okay, let's be honest about what was different this time. Let's be honest about what I did less of or too much of, what expectations that I had that were unrealistic. And then I could really begin to problem solve and see a way forward. And I could imagine new things for myself and for my business. I could imagine new ways of being towards you as my listeners and showing up with more honesty, more truthfulness, more integrity, and so much more love. And I was able to be gentle with myself instead of staying in that place of beating myself up for not having succeeded. And my coach asked me a really great question. She said, if you went to your future self who is successful, who has what you want, who has the hundred students in the program, what would she say to you about this failed launch? And the answer was so like clear. It just came up right away. And it was that this was the breakthrough I needed. And hearing myself say that, it was a bit of a shock because it definitely felt like anything but a breakthrough. Failure does not feel like a breakthrough, but so often it is. And if we can embrace that, if we can see the truth in it, then we can begin to move forward in the midst of things not working out. Because 
when we believe it hasn't worked, we're kind of arguing with reality because something worked and we need to move forward from there. So I'm sharing with you from experiencing rejection because obviously if you, if you know, there are over 2,500 listeners and members in our community, that's a lot of rejection, right? Um, so 2,500 people saying no thank you feels hard. Uh, and if you're dating, you know, offering to be with somebody, showing up for a relationship and experiencing rejection, I want you to know I get it. I experience rejection all the time. I keep making offers to coach and people say no. And sometimes they say yes. And the people who do say yes, I love them. They are amazing to work with. I love working with my new clients. And that is such a beautiful thing. But you have to be willing, as I am, to show up and experience a whole lot of rejection up front. And I've known this from the beginning. And so when I started the work that I do now, in coaching and in podcasting and before I when I was writing for my blog, um, I told myself I wouldn't quit until I had done at least 400 blog posts. Now I'm adding in podcasts as well. So I needed to write and do 400 podcasts and blog posts before I would know if I'm any good at this. And I would suggest the same thing for you. Like how many dates are you willing to go on to find out if you're good at dating or to even have the skills for dating? So often we want to just do like one or two and expect immediate results. And these things, going on dates, showing up asking questions, introducing yourself, being vulnerable. These are the seeds that we plant in order to reap the harvest we'd eventually like to have. And so we need to plant a lot of seeds. And I'm thinking about the parable of the man who like is sowing seeds and some falls on the path and some falls into the weeds and some falls over here and over there and some falls on good ground. And we we need to do this in every area of our lives. Like this parable applies to all kinds of situations. I mean, it's the same if you were if you were searching for a job and you had a resume. So often we underestimate the amount of effort it is going to take to get the result that we want to create in our lives. So if you want to get your dream job, usually we will assume that you're going to have to pass out around I don't know, 25 resumes. And then you pass out the 25 resumes and you get nowhere. And the problem isn't that nobody wants to work with you. The problem is that you underestimated how many resumes you're actually going to have to send out there in order to get your dream job. I like to times things by seven. Seven seems like a good number. So whatever number I think it's going to take for me to get somewhere just times it by seven. Um, I do this a lot because we have these really unrealistic expectations. I do this with, I'll tell you another funny example. So I do this with my husband because he is terrible at time management. He's much better now, but he used to be really bad. And 
now I know that if he gives me a time frame of how long something is going to take, like how long is it going to take for him to go to the store and back, or how long is it going to take for him to finish a certain project, whatever number he gives me, I just times it by 2.5, because that's going to give me a much clearer Uh, estimation of when he'll be done or when he'll be back than if I take his word for whatever he thinks it's going to be. I just know him better than he knows himself. And so I make adjustments accordingly. So I don't have to be angry when he said he's going to be back at 3.30 and he isn't actually back until five o'clock. So I would encourage you, like how many dates do you think it's going to take before you get married? So really just kind of like, Pull an idea, a number from your mind, guesstimate how many dates do you think it's going to take before you get married? And whatever number that is, times it by seven. And that might seem like a huge number. And you'll look at that number and go like, oh my God, that's too many. I don't want to do that. That's like, ah, and it feels overwhelming, but it is those repetitive Um, showing up over and over and over again. It is planting all of those seeds so that you can reap a good harvest because we we expect like, I'm going to plant a seed and it's going to grow into a hundredfold crop. But if you've only got one seed in the ground, that's like, like if we're planting corn, we're planting corn over here because that's the season for it. But if you do one kernel of corn, you're going to get a corn stalk that has maybe two ears of corn on it. So even if you get a hundredfold on one piece of corn, you're not getting very far. So don't be afraid to plant as many seeds as possible because a lot of it is going to get scattered in places where it just won't grow. And I suggest, if you can't come up with a number, I really challenge women to go for a hundred dates. Are you willing to go on a hundred dates to meet your godly, equally yoked husband? And if that sounds like a huge number of dates for you, just ask yourself why. I mean, if you committed to going on a weekly date for the next two years and you were married by the end of that time, wouldn't it be worth it? And no one's saying that these all have to be a hundred first dates. You could date the same guy. But would you be willing to go on a hundred different dates in order to meet the man that you would love to spend the rest of your life with? Are you willing to spend the next two years committed to that process on a weekly basis and spending that time week after week after week? Are you willing to create that momentum and that skill building um, momentum into your life so that you can have what you want? Now, I realize we kind of got off the main topic from like what's wrong with me, but so often we're blaming the failure to have what we want on who we are as a person. We're looking at it as a personal failure flaw, as if God in all of his infinite wisdom, made a mistake when he made you and you are defective some way. And this is why I say like, it is absolutely not true. We know that you are amazing. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You do not have an inherent problem. Now, that doesn't mean that your actions 
don't have some flaws to them, right? Because you are not your actions. You are not your thoughts. You are not your emotions and you are not your actions. This is really important for us to understand. This is why I talk about the life code so much because we tend to think I am what I think. I am how I feel. I am what I do. And that is not where our identity is meant to be. Our identity is in who we are in Christ, and Christ is perfect, Christ is lovable, Christ is amazing, Christ is capable, Christ is worthy, and therefore, by default, so are we. And then we can begin to work on our thoughts and our emotions and our actions, and we can begin to apply ourselves to the task ahead of us in a meaningful way without making that who we are. So because here's what happens, like we work really hard on something and then we feel like we are desperate and we are not enough unless we have it. And that makes us strive harder. And we kind of get into these vicious cycles of like, I'm not complete. And here, okay, I kind of want to pause there because So often women will say, like, if God is enough, why do I still want so bad? And if I am doing everything I can in my relationship with God, I'm praying, I am reading my Bible, I am helping others, I am being a godly woman, and I still have this deep ache And I don't want to, you know how they say, like, don't try to fill a God-sized hole with something else, like an idol, like a man or a work or something, money, whatever it is. But what if you have filled the God-shaped hole in your life with God? Does that mean you shouldn't want anything else? I believe the answer is no. I believe that this is where we have to really differentiate between our needs and our wants. God has fulfilled your needs, but that doesn't mean he has fulfilled your wants. There are still things that you desire. And just because you have this God-shaped hole in your heart filled doesn't mean there isn't still a husband-shaped hole in your heart that also needs to be filled. And it's okay that there's there's two different things. And this desire, the reason you have that human-shaped hole for a husband is because that's part of who God created you to be. That's part of your destiny. That's part of your journey. And I believe, you know, when we shine a light on it, it kind of like illuminates the path forward of where God wants you to go. And I find that this is difficult to talk about because especially within the church, a lot of women are shamed for wanting more than they have, which I think is very sad. We need to want more. We are designed to want. We are designed to have greater expectations and visions and desires that are beyond where we are today, because that is the path to growth. That is what forces us to lean on Christ and to wait on the Lord and to move forward and to take the next right step. Without a desire, without anything motivating us to go forward, we'll just stay where we are and we won't grow. But God is asking us to move. Like our walk with God is a walk. It's it's not a 
stand still with God. Like there is time and place for standing still and standing firm and waiting on the Lord. Yes. But I believe all of that is happening within our walk with God. So there's room for both. There's a time to be still and there's a time to move. There's a time to wait and there's a time to take action. You know, we see this in the Bible that there is room for both. And it can be very tempting to look at women in the Bible and think that that is a prescription for how it is meant to be. But I want to remind you, like, there's the women, the people, the characters in the Bible are far from perfect. They all have their own faults and flaws. And we should not idolize them just because they are in the Bible doesn't mean because they are biblical figures does not mean that they are living biblical lives. And I shy away from the term biblical because even Satan can give biblical advice. (laughs) And I mean, he came up to Jesus with all kinds of biblical suggestions for what Jesus could do. So just because something is biblical doesn't make it right for you. I really focus on Christ-centered because you can't go wrong there. You can't manipulate Christ-centered, especially when you define Christ-centered through the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Does whatever you're thinking produce love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? This is a much healthier guide for us to live by than biblical, because there's a lot going on there and a lot of different examples of how to not do it right. So these are some of my thoughts that I wanted to share with you. And and I want to emphasize the importance of being upset when you are upset. I recently posted in the Facebook group a really lovely um, word art that I found. It says, he cried. He knew Lazarus was dead before he got the news, but still he cried. He knew Lazarus would be alive again in moments, but still he cried. He knew death here is not forever. He knew eternity and the kingdom better than anyone else could. Yet he wept. Because this world is full of pain and regret, loss and devastation and depression. He wept because knowing the end of the story doesn't mean you can't cry at the sad parts. I really love that. I really love that Jesus wept and that Jesus showed us it is more than okay to have the full range of human emotions. Because one of the problems I see in our generation is emotional leprosy. When we talk about leprosy as a physical condition, it's that the problem is that you your skin becomes numb and you're no longer able to have the sensations of pain which prevent you from injuring yourself. We need pain in our lives. We need, our bodies need to experience physical pain in order for us to avoid serious injury. Because when something is hot, we want to register that this is hot, stop touching it. And if something is sharp, pointy, you know, 
going to cause us physical discomfort. We want to move away from that as soon as possible. Pain also reminds us to take care of ourselves. Pain is there to say like, hey, you were in a car accident. You need to slow down. You need to lie down. You need to let somebody take care of you. You need to raise and elevate that arm. You need to put some ice on that. You need to take some medication to heal this thing. But emotional pain feels so unnecessary. I mean, our culture has kind of decided, I don't know when and where, but it seems that our culture has decided that we don't have time for emotional pain. We don't have time for grief. We don't have time for depression. We don't have time for discouragement. We don't have time to feel frustration and sadness and all of these things. Uh, And it's faulty. It's just wrong. We need to feel those things. We need to have those experience of those emotions. But a lot of us don't want to because they're uncomfortable and we'd rather just numb them out. And this is where sin and temptation become so tempting. The reason sin is so appealing is it gives us an alternative to feeling some of these things because we can indulge in a temporary pleasure instead of continuing down the path of experiencing our painful emotions, our negative emotions. And so we will indulge these pleasures, but the problem is they only postpone the negative emotions. They only put it off till someday in the future. And eventually it comes back around, but instead of it being fresh, it's like an old wound that never properly got taken care of. And so now it's um, dirty and it's infected and it's grown lumps and bumps and it's grown, it's healed wrong. And, you know, we either have to amputate or re-break the bone or like do all of these things to, you know, correct something that is now made so much worse because we weren't willing to deal with it in the first place. And when I talk about sin and temptation this way, you know, it it doesn't have to be the big obvious ones. And I'm not talking about it to shame, but to recognize like these sins lead to death and the death of our emotions because we get into the habit of continually numbing and numbing and numbing. And this prevents us from experiencing the other side of the emotions. It's like, oh, I'd like to numb the negative emotions, but I'd still like to experience the positive ones, please. But we can't. The problem with sin and indulging in these temptations is that we numb the entire spectrum. So we don't just avoid pain, we avoid pleasure. We avoid all of it. We can't enjoy love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, and all the fruit of the Holy Spirit because we're totally numbed out and we'd rather feel nothing. And so we stay in this place of like indulgent um, entertainment and consumption of like, okay, let me just kind of like add a little bit more stuffing so I can't feel all these vibrations of these uncomfortable emotions. And so if we can get to the place where we'll acknowledge like, okay, it's okay to weep. It's okay to feel this pain. Um, This emotional pain can't kill me. I'm just going to feel these feelings. So often, you know, just learning how to feel our feelings is half the battle. 
because that opens up the door to sending the signals that will attract the right person. Because people, men who want to take advantage of women, men who are really unhealthy themselves and want to uh, take advantage and manipulate others are going to look for people who are numbed out because they're vulnerable already and they won't have the um, the the sensor, sensory emotions that will cause them to see the red flag. So if you have a tendency of ignoring red flags, part of that is probably due to like emotionally shutting down where I don't want to feel. And so you don't see the red flags. And, you know, manipulative men love this because then they're able to really take advantage of the situation. And since you don't trust yourself, when red flags and alerts go off, you'll ignore them and you'll take his word because you'll trust him more than yourself. And that leads to a whole host of problems. So uh, the reason I'm saying all of this is to really encourage you to embrace the discomfort that you might be in and to allow it to be there. I know it's scary because we think like, oh, if I open that door, who knows where it's going to lead? And we're afraid that it's going to create a really negative spiral and we might not be able to get out of it. We're just going to sink into that pit of despair if we open the door and allow it. But that's not true. The reality is when we open the door to the negative emotions, they come in and they can be kind of overwhelming at first, but they do subside pretty quickly. And they're usually not nearly as scary as we've built them up to be. We're terrified of what they're going to be like, but then when we actually embrace them and allow them to be there, they can't do nearly the damage that we have anticipated. So I want to suggest making friends with those negative emotions. If you've seen the movie, the Disney Pixar movie, Inside Out, I think they do such a great job of that. Like they just describe sadness and, you know, anger and the different emotions. Uh, and of course, like they've really made it a very small group of emotions there, but there are so many. And if you can kind of caricature them and give them their own little you know, give them their names, make friends with them, make them not into these scary monsters anymore. Sometimes they're just these fuzzy little guys that need a hug. And I know that sounds quaint, but it it really is the truth. Like we don't have to be afraid of letting those emotions into our lives. Those emotions are not sins. The actions we can take from some of these negative emotions may be sinful, but the emotions themselves are not sin. And just because you feel an emotion, just because you are fueled to do something negative, to do something sinful, doesn't mean you don't have any power and control over that. You always have authority over yourself. And we want to take back that authority. We want to be able to begin to say, it's okay for me to feel anger and not sin. It's okay for me to feel resentful and not act on it. Just because you have an emotion and you have a impulse to do something from there doesn't mean you have to obey. Your feelings are not in charge you don't have to obey them. Just like, you know, if I'm really angry, I don't have to smash a plate. I might be really tempted to do that, but I don't have to. 
That idea can pop into my mind, but I don't have to do it, right? So I want to encourage you. Allow those emotions to be there because the pain isn't the problem. Having painful emotions isn't a problem. Just like having it, being a human with skin and having pain isn't a problem. The problem is the numbness. If you are feeling numb, that's a problem. That's the emotional leprosy, and that is dangerous. You have to allow the negative emotions to experience the positive emotions. So I want to encourage you to allow your range of emotions to expand both ways. Yes, we want to be intentionally cultivating the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's in the positive direction. But you also want to allow for the negative emotions to be there, to experience them and to let them pass because you'll kind of experience them as waves. I've talked before about like each thought is like a little bell that sounds And then you're going to hear that sound of the bell, the vibration of the bell for a moment, and then it's going to pass. And if you don't want to hear that sound again, stop hitting that bell. Stop thinking the thought that produces that sound. And so, but if you've already hit it, because we do by default sometimes, just by accident, all these thoughts are going off in our brains. If that bell has been sounded, there's no point jumping on the bell and trying to silence it. Just let it ring out and don't hit it again. And if you do by accident, just say, okay, that's going to pass in a moment. Just recognizing these things don't last forever. The only way they last forever is if you keep hitting the bell over and over and over again and producing that vibration over and over and over again. So this is, you know, where we can begin to be still, allow the sound to pass through us, allow the thought to pass through us, allow that feeling to be there, and then move on and then begin to adopt the mind of Christ and I've said it a few times in all of my coaching sessions recently. Adopting the mind of Christ, the reason the word adopting is there is because it's a process. It is not a brain transplant. We are not transplanting the brain of Christ into you so that you can just, done, go forward, perfectly fixed forever. No, it's adoption. It's going to be a process. It's going to take time. If anybody has ever known anybody who has gone through an adoption process, there's nothing instant about it. It's going to be a journey. It's going to stretch you. It's going to cause you to be afraid and to hold back and grow and experience more love and joy than you could have ever possibly imagined. But that doesn't make it easy. Adoption isn't an easy process. It's unnatural, right? Like you're, if we're talking about adoption, you're adopting not your natural child. You're adopting somebody else's child. It's not a natural process. Adoption is not a natural process. So it's going to take consistent effort on your part because if you stop the adoption process very quickly, it goes back to the default setting. So if you're in the midst of adopting a child and you don't continue down the path intentionally, you're not going to adopt the child by accident. Like nobody accidentally adopts kids, right? It's always a really intentional process. And if you stop at any point or you give up at any point, um, it doesn't go through. 
It just doesn't happen. And you go back to not having that child in your life. And so really just looking at adopting the mind of Christ with the same determination to like, I'm going to see this through and it's going to take time and it's going to be a process and it's not going to be easy the whole time, but it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it to keep trying. It's going to be worth it to hit those roadblocks and keep going. And this is where you'll you'll experience so much need for, you know, time with God and time with prayerful companions who are going to encourage you on this journey. And if you don't have people in your life who are encouraging you on your journey to honor your God-given desires, you need a new circle of people. You need to find people who are going to rally around you. Um, I'm, I'm reading the book of Job right now, and his friends, his friends, oh, there's something else. You know, Job knows in his heart that he didn't do anything wrong. And I know that reading this, I'm like, ah, I feel like so many single women are in Job's boat. They know exactly what Job is feeling like. Like there's your council of friends are giving you all kinds of advice on like what you're doing wrong and how you're not being humble enough and how you're not waiting on the Lord enough and how you're not trusting enough. And you know in your heart that that's simply not true. Um, And so it's okay to defend yourself. It's okay to be disappointed. Job is seriously disappointed. Throughout the book, he's like, I'm going to complain and I have every right to do so. But He also acknowledges like, hey, and I'm going to take this up with God and I'm going to keep going and I'm going, he doesn't give up on his defense. He's like, no, I really, I really want to know what's going on here. And so you have the same permission because so much of Job is complete prophetic uh, to the coming of Christ. You know, Job talks about like, I see my redeemer. I see my advocate in heaven. If I could just talk to him, I know he would see me through this. So obviously Job has some foresight about Christ and we have Christ in our lives today. And so we can really lean into our relationship with God and Christ and not be afraid of offending God or anybody else with our like, no, I really want this. Like this is This is where I feel like I'm supposed to be, and it's okay to be there. So I hope this little bit of a rant has been encouraging for you. I hope that it will help you in this season, whether you're feeling great about where you're at in your relationship journey or feeling discouraged or wishing it was over or not knowing what to do, wherever you're at, I hope that you will begin to embrace reality and really be honest about where you're at while also envisioning the future that you want and going for it wholeheartedly and never giving up just never giving up like willing to do 100 dates willing to have your heart broken willing to experience rejection willing to you know meet the right guy if you know are you willing to meet the wrong guy in order to eventually meet the right guy? Are you willing to experience this journey for all that it is? Because if you are, there's no doubt in my mind that you will achieve your God-given desire for a Christ-centered marriage. But if you don't want to take the journey with all of its ups and downs, I don't know. I don't know if you can get there that way. In my experience, you have to embrace the whole trip because there is no instant just done and there 
without that growth and without that walk. And I know that for some women, it takes much longer and that's okay. That's part of their journey. Their journey is a long scenic route. And it doesn't seem fair because you'll look at, you know, the 22 year old and be like, but she got married and she didn't have to do any of this. She's got her own journey. She'll have her own challenges to deal with. You know, everybody, everybody on earth is going to have some experience of having a God-given desire that does not come instantly. We all do. And it might look different. Maybe she'll want the child and the child doesn't come as easily. You know, we get some of the things we want and she might be looking at you and being like, oh, well, she's got, she's got the home that I want. I wish I had a home. She's got this thing, the job, the career that I want, but I don't have anything like that. So, you know, we have to really, of course, be grateful for what we have, but not covetous of what other people have. And not thinking like, well, it's not fair because, you know, I'm, I'm waiting more patiently and I'm being more devout in my walk with God or I'm doing this. Like, don't, don't go there. It does not serve you to be in that place of judgment and comparison. It will hurt you. And not in a good way. It just doesn't serve you to be there. So if you want to move forward faster, really watch out for like, where am I in judgment? Where am I blaming And where am I arguing with reality? Those are like the three things that are really going to slow you down and hold you back. If you want to make forward progress, look for the places in which you're judging. Look for the places where you're arguing with reality and embrace like the journey ahead. Um, One more thing that I wanted to mention with the life code, because I've seen this coming up a lot lately, is our prayers, often we want to use our prayers to change our circumstances, to change the life part at the top of the life code. So we look at the life code, life, mind, emotions, actions, outcome. If prayer is an action, we're using it to try and change the circumstance, to change the top of the code. And that doesn't work. What we want to do is use our prayer life to change the result that we're creating, the outcome that we're creating. And we want to do it in a way that we're praying so that we can change our thoughts and our emotions and our actions rather than the circumstances. You know, God can change the circumstance if he wants to. Sometimes miracles happen, but... I have found when I look at the miracles in the Bible through the life code, they really are taking place as a result of people's thoughts, emotions, and actions. What did they think? What were they believing? Where, what was that thought igniting in them? Hope, faithfulness, expectancy. And then from that place, they took action. They reached out and they touched the hem of Christ. They made the request. They stood up, but it had to go in that direction. It had to start with a thought. They believed something Jesus said. Jesus said, get up. And they said, okay. They thought like, I'm going to get up. And they had the emotion of like faith and hope. Like, yes, they were in that place of belief. And then from there, they took action. It wasn't that God changed their circumstance so they could get up. It's that God or they changed their thoughts. Jesus offered them an idea and they believed it. And so I'm offering you ideas here. You can do this. 
you can be a godly wife. You can enjoy this journey. You can go on a hundred dates. You can experience heartache and rejection. It's not going to kill you. You can show up over and over again and you can become stronger for it. You can have a beautiful love life. You can experience more love in your life than you ever thought possible. You can have a marriage that is a glowing testimonial of the goodness of God in this world. You can have a husband who cherishes and adores you. You can have this dream that you have envisioned, and that is your path forward. And you can go down that path without fear of um, somehow making God angry or disappointed in you for taking action. It's okay to take action towards your God-given desires. It's okay to show up for love. It is okay to be honest with yourself and others about what you want. It's okay to ask for what you want, even from a man. Isn't it crazy that we think we can ask God for what we want, but we can't ask a man for what we want? Like, God, I want to have a husband, but we won't go to the, the man who is standing in the church lobby and ask him to go on a date because that would be inappropriate somehow. Like, it's okay to be honest about, hey, I noticed you. I think you're attractive and I'd like to get to know you better. Somehow we think that's like wrong. But why? Why do we, where did that come from? And does it serve us to believe it? And does it line up with love and truth? I don't think so. So just become curious. Become curious about where you're at and what you'd like and how you're going to move forward. And if you'd like to talk with me about it, I'd love to chat with you. And you can book a coaching session with me over at Proverbs2426.com. And there's a tab at the top that says private coaching. And I would love to work with you to help you make the next year your most love-filled year ever. And to go after that God-given desire to the best of your ability and to honor God all along the way. That is it, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me. If you liked this episode or any other one, would you kindly share it with one or two friends and help me spread this message of hope and encouragement to more women around the world? It is so amazing to be able to spend time with you in this way. And again, if you'd like to chat with me directly, You can always find me on Facebook and Instagram. You can reply to any of my emails if you're on the email list. And if you're not on the email list, head over to Proverbs2426.com and subscribe to our email list there. There's also a short short course on self-love, which is the first step to creating an equally yoked marriage. And I would love it if you would check out that course and that will automatically subscribe you to our email list so you don't miss anything. Thank you once again for joining me here today. Until next time, God bless you.